All right, as I said earlier, we're going to be in Psalm 103. We're not going to cover the whole psalm. We're going to take at least two weeks, maybe three. It's a longer psalm. Um, it has long been my favorite psalm, and I've never actually taught or preached through it. So I'm excited about the opportunity to dig into this. 103. Um, much of life can, can feel like a test, right? So you think of things like uh, passing the test of graduating high school or getting a job offer, getting married, getting a raise, buying a home, having kids, raising healthy kids. We, we have all of these points in time that we, whether we think about it too much or not, but we, we try to get past we try to pass this accomplishment, get over this hurdle and this test. And we can even approach faith in God in this way. We, we pass the test of trusting in Christ for the first time and getting baptized, joining church, seeing our kids go through these things as well. Now, much of this is understandable and, and unavoidable. There are various points in time that we have to get past or we, we should try to get past in life. But Psalm 103 reminds us that life as a child of God, life in God's kingdom, does not work like this, at least not in its entirety. We are meant to live not in order to pass a one-time test and then move on, but to live every day in light of who God is and what he's done for us. We are to just continually, on and on and on, bask in his, in his benefits, rest in his goodness, rejoice in who he is and what he's done. It's an ongoing, never-ending reality. Just like being a child in a home with parents is an ongoing reality. You're not, you're not required to just pass a test each day to keep up. No, you are a child. Every day you wake up, you are a child. It just is. It's it goes on and on. And this, and this is something of how our life with God is. And this is the case because God operates by grace. And he operates by grace alone. If life is a test or a series of tests that we have to pass, we've failed already. Right? That's the message of the Bible. We've already failed. We failed before we began, and then we kept failing again and again and again. And we have no hope of ever passing the test if life were a test. There's no making up for our sin. There's nothing we can do to overcome our rebellious hearts. But because God has done what we cannot do, because God has paid for our sin in the person of Jesus, through his grace in Jesus, there's no test we have to pass. If we are in Christ by, by faith in him, and his death for our sins, we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to earn our standing, secure God's love for us. We don't have to do anything and then keep doing it again and again just to stay in. No, it is finished because Christ accomplished everything for us. And so our calling, if we are in Christ, is to live in light of this every day, to go on living in light of what he has done for us completely by his grace. 
And that's something of what this psalm reminds us. Uh, when it says, as we'll get to in verse, in verse 2, forget not all of his benefits, the point is that there is never a point in time where we ought to stop remembering. Stop rehearsing and living in light of who God is. No, the reality of who God is and his truth and his saving work in Jesus is the basis of our life, of our whole life. And all of the commands that we find in Scripture, there are things we are called to do, of course, to love God, to worship God, to fear Him, obey Him, love others. All of this flows out of knowing and remembering God. And if it doesn't, our attempts to follow such commands are, are meaningless, are, are pointless. No, all of our life is rooted in Him. That's something of the point of the name of our church, that we are rooting ourselves in who God is and his grace to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's jump into this. Uh, we're only, only going to take the first five verses today, and then we'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, there's a lot in here, so I don't want to rush too fast through it. Okay, first two verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, notice who the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, in this case it's David. Notice who the psalmist is speaking to. Who's he speaking to? Himself. He says, oh, my soul. Uh, this, this word soul, uh, this Hebrew word means life or breath. And so he's calling on himself and all that's within him to bless the Lord. Now, this is a bit peculiar if you think about it. Perhaps you talk to yourself regularly, but just stay with me for a second. This says something about what it means to be human, and particularly what it means to be humans that deal with sin. Because we are often divided in our wills. We are often tempted by sin, confused, and led astray. And so we have this need to speak to ourselves, to rouse and call ourselves to do something. There are many situations where this is not the case. Say you go to a Brazilian steakhouse. You don't have to rouse and call yourself to eat the food, oh my soul. Enjoy the food. You don't have to work to get yourself to do that. You just naturally do. When you wake up in the morning, you don't have to say, come on, soul, drink the coffee. You drink the coffee. You don't need any self-pep talk. And this is because your will and your desires are completely in sync. And they're in sync with what is, for the most part, good and right. There's no moral or spiritual conflict going on. But in a broken and sinful world, as we live with bodies and desires affected by sin, our wills and desires are not always in sync with what is good and right. We often love what we hate. We love what is dishonoring to God or harmful to ourselves and others. And so we have this need for this inner dialogue as children of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Come on. Bless his holy name. 
Glorify God, O my soul. Seek the things that he has said are good and right and true. Turn from what is worthless. The idea is that loving God and being faithful to God is something that takes initiative, intentional effort, each and every day. Now, this is difficult in the society that we live in because we are a culture and society that values spontaneity above almost anything. Spontaneity is seen as more authentic than intentional planned out efforts. And so we justify giving in to whatever desires come up in the moment, whatever the consequences. And, and we all do this to a degree. Like, it's not just out there, those people out there. Like, we all do this. It's but if you're going to be committed to anything good for any period of time, you can't rely, rely on spontaneity, on just doing what feels good in the moment, going wherever your heart leads. You don't just spontaneously stay committed to your marriage. You don't just spontaneously love your children for 18 years. You don't just spontaneously commit to a church. You, you work at it. You put intentional effort into it, even when, and especially when, it doesn't feel natural and when there's conflict in your will and desires. You continue to commit to it. And it's the same with our relationship with God. It involves an act of the will and ongoing, daily acts of the will. We must continue to speak to ourselves and call ourselves to do what is good and right. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You don't just fall into blessing the Lord. You work at it. To bless the Lord means to praise or adore Him. Uh, the ESV study notes Say uh, it says to speak well of him. And certainly this doesn't only involve our words, as if we could speak well of God but inwardly despise him or be cold and indifferent to him. No, this is a call for all that is within me, all that is within me to live in praise of God. Our thoughts, our emotions, our affections, our, our will, Actions, our loves and pursuits and passions, our time and commitments, and our words. With everything we are, all that God has created us to be, we are to praise and glorify and make known and acknowledge the goodness and worth of who God is. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Soul, do what you were made to do. Do what is good and right. Do what leads to joy and satisfaction. Bless the Lord. Now, the rest of this psalm teaches us the first and most important step in doing this. As the end of verse 2 says, forget not all his benefits. To put it positively, remember his benefits. To bless the Lord, we first have to remember his benefits, that is, the good things that flow from him, and the good that he is himself. Have you ever tried praising something you didn't think was good? If you did, you were lying. Because to praise something, you have to know that it's good, like the Brazilian steakhouse. 
So if you're going to praise God rightly, you have to continually remember and rehearse and remind yourself of His goodness. Again, this is not a one-time passing of a test of like, oh, we did that. This is an ongoing, never-ending turning of our hearts and affections and wills and minds to the goodness and the worth of God, and then living in light of that. Uh, The book of Revelation shows us that even in our perfected state, we will rehearse the benefits of God. They're singing about the blood of Jesus in heaven. And so if that's the case then, how much more ought we to be doing it now when our temptation is to, to stray and forget? And the rest of this psalm, from here on out, verse 3 on, will help us do this. It will, it, it's a list of the benefits of God to his people. And again, we're just going to get through verse 5 today, but we're going to start just walking through each of these benefits and, and reflecting on it. So verse 3, first, first benefit that David lists here, who forgives all your iniquity. So even in the Old Testament, of which the Psalms are a part, even in the Old Testament before Jesus is revealed, before we know Jesus as God's means of forgiving sinners, God reveals himself to be a forgiving God. It wasn't that God became forgiving when Jesus came and and died for our sins. Uh, Jesus' death for sins was and is the just And right, basis for all of God's forgiveness, yes, it's where God's forgiveness and justice meet, but God has always been forgiving. He's always delighted to forgive. And he reveals this throughout the Old Testament to his people. Um, Early on, back back in Exodus, uh, when Moses prays to God, show me your ways, God reveals his character. This is one of the most significant passages, maybe the most significant in all of the Old Testament, in Exodus 34, and it's what Psalm 103 is really based off. Uh, Psalm 103 repeats many of the, um, the truths from Exodus 34. So let me just read a couple of verses there. This is where God reveals what he is, who he is to, to Moses and, and, and the people. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, We're not going to fully get into this right here, but there is a tension there, right? Tension between God being a God of of mercy and steadfast love, but also a God who will by no means clear the guilty. Um, This does get resolved in Jesus at the cross. But for now, notice how God wants to be known. Notice how God reveals himself to be a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. One who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And the rest of Scripture teaches us that God loves to show mercy and forgive sinners. 
to, to all who come to him in repentance, recognition of sin, he readily and happily forgives. He will justly punish sin, yes, and he is glorified in doing so, but he would prefer to take the punishment himself in the person and work of Jesus and, and thereby display at the same time his merciful and forgiving heart. In other words, God is more glorified in us coming to Jesus and letting him pay the price for our sin and rebellion than in us remaining cold and hard-hearted and rebellious and facing the punishment ourselves. It is great news that God is a God who forgives all your iniquity. Moving on, second half of verse 3, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Now, just a couple of clarifications. Diseases here is, is probably physical sicknesses, as you would tend to think with the word diseases. Uh, the pit refers to uh, the grave, the place where your physical body goes when, when you die. Um, so this is not talking about the afterlife and eternal salvation. This is just talking about physical death. Um, and hence the idea there is, that, is, is keeping one from physically dying due to sickness, danger, or misfortune. Now, you're likely already ahead of me asking a question. Well, does God promise to heal all our diseases and redeem all of our lives from physically dying? No, we know that's not the case, both from our experience and from Scripture. Certainly David, in writing this, knew this as well. He knew that God's people get sick and don't always improve, at least in this life, and eventually die. And it's not necessarily due to some unrepented sin in their life or lack of faith. Jesus died. Most people in Scripture die as well, although some were, a few were taken away. Uh, and so the idea of the prosperity gospel that God will always give us complete health and wealth as long as we have enough faith is, has no scriptural warrant. But what does this mean then? How, what is the comfort and the promise here for us? Well, the first thing we can say is that God is the one who heals diseases, and God is the one who preserves our life. He, he can do that. He can do that. He does do that. We don't have a promise that he will do it every time, but we know that this is something God does, and so if we are healed, we should praise God. If we are preserved from almost certain death, we should praise God. If we wake up in the morning and find that God has given us another day, we should praise God. Bless the Lord. This is not due to random chance or just biological, scientific, medical factors. God is the giver and sustainer of life and the healer of diseases. Likewise, if you find yourself sick or burdened by various illnesses or conditions, pray to God. A second thing that we can say is that God will one day wipe away all sickness and death. These are effects of sin, and God will one day eradicate them. And so perhaps there is a forward-looking predictive element to this when we read it in light of all of Scripture. But thirdly, also don't miss the realism in this. Life in this world, even as God's people, is often characterized by 
iniquity and disease and death. It's part of the brokenness of the world we live in. And while we don't have a promise that God will keep us from ever being affected by these things, we do have a God who has entered into these very things, experienced them himself, even death, who sustains us through these things and who will one day do away with them all. Moving on, last part of verse 4. God who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now, this word translated steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. It's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It means something like faithfulness or loyalty. In, back in Exodus 34, which we read, we saw that this is who God revealed himself to be, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is at heart. Here we are told that this is who God, this is what God extends to his people. Steadfast love. If you are in Christ by faith, God is committed to you. He is steadfast and sure and loyal and faithful. He's not just waiting for you to mess up so that he can let you go. He's not half-heartedly committed to you. No, his love for you is steadfast, committed, faithful, loyal. And, and the cross of Christ is the demonstration of this and also the assurance of this. Again, the cross is where God's justice and his mercy meet and kiss and come together. Where God takes care of our guilt and sin once and for all. And he binds himself to us for all eternity. And so we must come to God through the cross of Christ. Mercy, the second word here is a Hebrew word meaning compassion, pity, tender affection. Again, this is who God had revealed himself to be in Exodus 34, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. English pastor Thomas Goodwin wrote, We are apt to think that he, God, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and temper. And so, when you think of God, when you imagine God, when do you think of God as compassionate towards you? Do you think of God as tender-hearted, warm-hearted towards you? What about when you sin? What about when you continue to sin and, and continue to battle in various areas of sin and temptation and doubt and questions? Do you still feel that God is compassionately, tenderly, fighting with you against your sin and not against you, that he is still for you, compassionate. More than that, we are told that God doesn't just 
half-heartedly give us steadfast love and mercy, but that He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Uh, obviously, crown is a, a term of royalty, right? Uh, the, the image here is one of a royal ceremony with, with great honor and delight and intention. Imagine, just imagine God crowning you with steadfast love and mercy. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, in, 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 in commenting on this verse, writes, Our Lord does nothing by halves. He will not stay his hand till he has gone to the uttermost with his people. Cleansing, healing, redemption are not enough. So it's not enough that God just saves us from things and then just kind of leaves us. He must needs make them kings and crown with them and crown them. And the crown must be far more precious than if it were made of corruptible things, such as silver and gold. It is studded with gems of grace and lined with the velvet of loving kindness. It is decked with the jewels of mercy, but made soft for the head to wear by a lining of tenderness. Again, when you think of God and his disposition and his thoughts towards you, do you see God as compassionate and tender-hearted? And then the last benefit we'll look at today in verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now this is kind of a summing up uh, a result of all the benefits that God gives. He gives us so much, so much good that we don't need anything else. That we're satisfied, full, overflowing. Now in saying this, we have to be clear, God isn't interested in and God isn't up to simply satisfying us, but in satisfying us with himself and with the good that flows from him. And so there's, there's a moral part to satisfaction. The purpose of our life is not simply to find satisfaction through whatever means, just whatever works for you. Go out and find satisfaction. No, God desires to satisfy us with himself and with what is good. Which means that part of being satisfied is learning to discern and love and seek that which is truly good. Ultimately, God himself. One way that we bless the Lord, O my soul, is that we seek our satisfaction in him. We believe that he is good and that he is the giver of good gifts, and we draw near to him. Which means that in this life where we battle with sin, being satisfied with God and his benefits is a, is a fight, is a battle. It's something that takes, again, intentional effort. Not because God and his gifts are not good, but because our hearts wander and because we, our eyes wander. We're like dogs, squirrel, and we look at other things and we are tempted to think that other things will satisfy us. No, we must fight to believe that God can and does satisfy us. 
and continually give ourselves to him to do so. And as he does, we, it says, our youth is renewed like the eagles. Uh, Renewed youth implies strength, vigor, energy, life. The opposite, life apart from God, seeking satisfaction in many things but never quite finding it, is a stealing, a losing of such things. Perhaps you have seen people who are just on an endless search for satisfaction and happiness through whatever means, constantly pursuing the next high, trying to grasp pleasure and happiness through whatever means, and you see that their life is just wasting away. There are extreme examples of this that are pretty obvious, but even in many others, and maybe you've even seen it in yourself, there is a process of pursuing youthful strength and vigor and happiness and pleasure, but not finding it. Because it's not something you find by seeking it, but by seeking God and all the goodness and pleasures that are in him. And being content and satisfied in what he gives. And so, even in just considering these first few benefits of this psalm, notice that God's care for us encompasses the whole person, body, soul, spiritual, and material. Even in these few things, God doesn't just care about our spiritual state, although he does. He also cares about our physical well-being. He cares about us, all of us. He cares when we are sick and hurting, when we are facing death, when we are afraid, when we are doubting his goodness and love. And he seeks to confront and comfort and overwhelm us with good and to convince us that he is good in every area of our life, in every experience. He wants every part of our body and soul to experience and be assured of his goodness. He's trying to convince us of that. So we have a lot more to get through, but not today. But having heard of just these few benefits, what are we to do? Well, clearly, we are told, bless the Lord. Adore, praise, speak well of the Lord as our first calling as his people. So we're going to do that in song and in taking communion. Um, Part of the purpose of our regular Sunday gatherings is to rehearse the benefits of God that we might bless him. And as we talked a little bit about last week, there is benefit in us doing this together, in blessing the Lord together and seeing one another do this. We are encouraged and strengthened as we see others who are enduring trials of various kinds, blessing the Lord. We are strengthened and encouraged as we see others who are suffering in various ways, who are fighting sin and temptation, and who are struggling to see God's goodness. As we see them bless the Lord still, we are encouraged, and they need to see us bless the Lord as well. So let's pray and we'll do this together.